Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour. Bonjour. (laughs) Here we go again. Yes. So grateful to join with you. So grateful that this is the appointed time, no matter when you're listening to this, whether it's live or later, now is the appointed time. I think I say that a lot. (laughs) I'm grateful. I'm Jennifer Hadley, and I am grateful. I am grateful that now is the appointed time for our healing. And this week we're talking about healing a poor self-image, letting it go, saying bye-bye to that poor self-image, that awful idea of ourselves as not enough, as somehow bad or wrong. It's a topic I've been thinking about a lot because for the last few weeks I've been doing my uh, worthiness workshop and my undoing unworthiness classes. Uh, And all of this is part of the Masterful Living program and the bonuses that people get in Masterful Living. So it's just been on my mind. And Spirit gave me another one this week. So let's get to it. Uh, Healing a poor self-image, that's what we're talking about. And I always like to begin with a prayer and a blessing. So let's do just exactly that. Oh, so we place our hand on our heart and we gratefully partner up with the higher Holy Spirit self. Grateful, grateful, grateful that our life is the life eternal. One power, one presence, one life. And we're part of it, smack dab in the middle of it. We are grateful to give up any idea that we're not enough, that there's something wrong with us, that we are bad. We're giving up all false images and false idols. And we're stepping into the real, into the true like never before. We're grateful and thankful that everything we need is within us. It's right here, right now, within us. And we are grateful to allow ourselves to fully experience our perfection, our magnificence, our wholeness. We share the benefits with every brother, every sister, every being, because we are one with them. In gratitude, we let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. Yes, and as I dive in here, I just uh, would like to say, in case you don't know, because I don't really talk about it that often, I do a daily prayer and a daily inspiration and daily text messages. And these are all things you can sign up for at jenniferhadley.com. The daily inspiration and the daily prayer are totally free, and you can sign up for the text messages with as little as $1 one time. So practically free. And yeah, all those resources and a lot more are available at jenniferhadley.com. So I invite you to check it out. Also, if you're interested in Masterful Living this year, now is the time to register. Now is the time to book an exploratory call if you're not sure. Every year, people in Masterful Living tell me that they had been thinking about it for several years and finally decided to go for it. And they were so glad they did. So I say, don't wait, don't hesitate. Uh, Book an exploratory call if you're not sure. Okay, that's my little commercial. Now, we're going to look at the text, chapter 31, section 5, which is entitled Self-Concept versus Self. Self-Concept versus Self. So what Jesus teaches us here is that we have made our self into a concept of self Not our real self, not our true self, but a false idol self, a false identity. And uh, I think 
we all pretty much know, yep, we did that. We invented somebody and uh, we think we're it, but we're not. We're pure spirit and we can go back to the truth, go back to knowing uh, our true reality and that is the restoration, that is the resurrection that we're looking for. So in the the beginning of section 5, chapter 31, uh, Jesus says, The building of a concept of the self is what the learning of the world is for. This is its purpose, that you come without a self and make one as you go along. And by the time you reach maturity, you have perfected it to meet the world on equal terms at one with its demands. Apologies for the noise you hear in the background is my puppy, Bodhi, who um, is chewing on a bone. And she's a puppy, so it's better if I just keep her by my side. (laughs) So... Talking about the self-concept, we've built a concept of ourselves and that that's what the learning of the world is for. And we make a false self as we go along. And we've all done that, right? We've become very identified with who we think we are. And part of our journey in this human experience is to release the attachment to all of that, and particularly to release the attachment to trying to protect this concept of the false self. Just think of all the times we needed to be right. And what is that about except protecting the concept of the false self? So, next paragraph, Jesus says, A concept of the self is made by you. It bears no likeness. To yourself at all. It is an idol made to take the place of your reality as son of God. The concept of the self the world would teach is not the thing that it appears to be. For it is made to serve two purposes, but one of which the mind can recognize. So we're not able to see the two purposes that this false self uh, was made for, to serve, the two purposes. The first presents the face of innocence, the aspect acted on. It is this face that smiles and charms and even seems to love. It searches for companions and it looks at times with pity on the suffering and sometimes offers solace. It believes that it is good within an evil world. Right? So we can all relate to that. We've got that self-concept happening. This aspect can grow angry, for the world is wicked and unable to provide the love and shelter innocence deserves. And so this face is often wet with tears at the injustices the world accords to those who would be generous and good. This aspect never makes the first attack. But every day a hundred little things make small assaults upon its innocence, provoking it to irritation and at last to open insult and abuse. Isn't that exactly how it seems sometimes? Every day a hundred little things make small assaults upon its innocence, provoking it to irritation and at last Open insult and abuse. Think of people who decide that going on a murderous rampage and killing a whole bunch of people, they get triggered because they're interpreting things as insult and abuse. And maybe they are in actually being insulted and abused. And... 
They see themselves as innocent, and they are. And yet their decision is then to attack, right? That's their defense against the evil world. Next paragraph. The face of innocence, the concept of the self so proudly wears, can tolerate attack in self-defense. For is it not a well-known fact the world deals harshly with defenseless innocence? So the concept of the self can tolerate attack when it's in self-defense. So this is going back to something I talk about all the time. One of the, To me, one of the key principles or aspects of the Course, one of the key teachings is that if we are defending ourselves, it's because we have a secret desire to attack. So the face of innocence, the concept of the self so proudly wears, can tolerate attack in self-defense. Aha, you see. So this is one of the things, if we look deeply at, for me this has been extremely liberating. Let me search, and I do every day, search for where am I attacking Because I feel I have been attacked, I have been let down, I have been abused, and therefore I think it's okay to attack. Where, as a good spiritual student, as a peacemaker, I would say, oh no, attack is bad, attack is bad. But, oh, my attack is justified because I'm innocent And the world is attacking me, so all I'm doing is defending myself. This hypocrisy, this insanity, it catches us so often. And I am telling you, if you would like to improve your idea of yourself, if you would like to improve your self-image and uh, by... Remembering your true identity, you will recognize that attack is never justified. It's never justified. It's just not. Now, I work at this because my mind goes to attack and defend, attack and defend, attack and defend. And it used to be so strong in me that it was really, it just occupied a lot of my time, a lot of my thought, a lot of my energy. And one of the things I realized is that since we all share the one mind, there are no private thoughts. can't hide them from anyone. Everyone can tune into what we're thinking, and on some level we do. And so everyone knows that we harbor attack thoughts. Everyone knows that we harbor grievances. There's just no way to hide anything from anyone. We think we can, but we we can't. And so do we wish to make new friends who are attackers? Do we wish to do business with people who are secret attackers? Do we wish to fall in love with people who are secret attackers? Well, like does attract like. So we will attack, we will attract rather, and attack (laughs) people that have a similar mindset. So People seem to be very loving on the surface, but sometimes they're just attacking and attacking and attacking in private, in quiet. Or maybe they just feel that their attacks are justified because they are attacking the attacker. 
but soon it will be turned on them and they won't like it. So this is one of the key concepts. And it also emphasizes one of the other key concept, as concepts. Well, they're not concepts, they're truths. So I misspoke there. But these key truths that Jesus is teaching us that all conflict arises from when we say we'd like the peace of God, but we're choosing something else. So this is an example of how we do that. Jesus says here, No one who makes a picture of himself amidst this face for he has need of it. So everyone who's made a picture of themselves, and that's all of us, uh, we have this aspect that we can tolerate attack as long as it's in self-defense. Jesus goes on to say, the other side he does not want to see, yet it is here the learning of the world has set its sights. For it is here the world's reality is set to see it, excuse me, to see to it the idol lasts. So we keep the false idol going, the false personality, the fake self. Now, paragraph five, beneath the innocence, beneath the face of innocence, there is a lesson that the concept of the self was made to teach. It is a lesson in a terrible displacement and a fear so devastating that the face that smiles above it must forever look away, lest it perceive the treachery it hides. So you see, we're putting on this good face of this innocent person who has this deep treachery underneath, keeping the false idol alive, justifying our attack as being self-defense. He says, the lesson teaches this, I am the thing you made of me, and as you look on me, you stand condemned because of what I am. So we blame our treachery on other people. You made me do this. You made me what I am. Years ago in this podcast, I had my friend Rhonda Britton on, and she talked about uh, her father when he killed her mother right in front of her, shot her with a shotgun, um, and killed her um, right before he shot Rhonda. Rhonda's father shot her mother. He said to her, you made me do this. You made me do this. And that is the thing that many people who feel justified in their attack believe, that someone else made them do it. A lot of people who murder their loved ones feel that. You made me do this. I am the thing you made of me, and as you look on me, you stand condemned because of what I am. It's your fault that I became like this. Jesus says, On this conception of the self, the world smiles with approval, for it guarantees the pathways of the world are safely kept, and those who walk on them will not escape. So this is how we're trained. This is how we do it in this world. And we, you and I, are here to undo this. The way we undo it is we give up all interest in attack, even in self-defense. If we find ourselves defending ourselves, that's when we need to be quiet, And wait for spiritual guidance. Ask for spiritual guidance. Do not justify our attack because we are defending ourselves. This is 
how we can save ourselves a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty. It really works. But it is a deep commitment because we are all trained to defend ourselves. I just, I experience it a lot. You know, I might say to somebody who's doing something for me, um, Oh, I I thought you would do it this way. I, I I'm sorry. I didn't. It didn't occur to me you would do it that way. And the people say, "Well, if you had told me to do it that way, I would have done it that way." But you didn't say how you wanted it done. I, I and I say, "Oh, it's true. I I didn't say it. So I'm, I totally get it. Yeah, no, you haven't done anything wrong." And they're like, "But really, if you had told me, I would have done it that way. I just didn't know what you wanted." I'm like, I get it, I get it, I'm I'm definitely not attacking you. I'm just saying it didn't occur to me, and now I've learned something, and I'm grateful for that, and um, that's, that's that. And they're like, no, but really, you know, and they just can't stop defending themselves because they feel attacked, and the reason they feel attacked is because they feel badly about themselves. But that's something that they brought to the table. They brought that to the table. And I am here to be truly helpful. So I'm not here to get annoyed by that. I am not here to start defending myself (laughs) or even explaining myself, but just to be the loving presence that says, I get it. All is well. Don't worry about it. I love you. You're perfect. (laughs) And we can. We can offer that to our brothers and sisters that the true innocence and that we see their true innocence and help people break the pattern of defending themselves. So I know for me, this is one of the great lessons of my life for me to learn that when people are defending themselves, it can be tempting to actually start defending myself. Right, Because like attracts like. We start mirroring each other. But we don't have to. And so we can simply, what I've learned to do is just call upon spirit. Okay, spirit, what's happening here now? Can we turn the ship around? Can we bring it back to peace? That's what I'm interested in. What am I to say? What am I to do here? You know, I was just uh, doing, as I mentioned at the top of the hour, I was doing my undoing unworthiness classes and one of the things I shared in there, which I share over and over and over again, is people will ask me, well, what do you do when this happens? And what do you do when that happens? And what about this? In this kind of a situation, what do you do? And over and over again, I say, well, we can come up with strategies And that can be helpful, but the thing that's really healing and helpful is in the moment for you to go to spirit and see what spirit says. Because it's going to be different with different people in different situations. And it's about learning to trust spirit, not feeling like we have to have a fallback, we have to have a strategy, we have to have a plan, because we don't have to have a strategy and a plan. We do not. We can trust spirit in the moment. And it's so valuable for us to learn to do that and to feel totally comfortable learning to do that. I think that's one of the great gifts of my life is realizing I don't have to plan like I used to. I don't have to plan what to say and what to do in every kind of a difficult situation because if I'm tuned in, spirit will guide me. And why wouldn't I want to be tuned in? Of course I'd like to be tuned in. So that's what I'm going for. And this is precisely how we heal a poor self-image because a poor self-image is a concept. It's a self-concept. It's not true. And all concepts will fade into the light of the Christ, the light of our being. Because all concepts are false. They are not real. 
they are made to be dissolved. So this is why I frequently say, let it dissolve and resolve permanently back to the root cause. Whatever that was, whatever decision was made that that was a good idea (laughs) or that was the truth when it actually wasn't. Let it be dissolved and resolved permanently back to the root cause. Yes. And this is what we focus on all year long in Masterful Living. And that's why people are so successful. It's extraordinary. And everybody has different results. I think it's one of the coolest things. Somebody tells me, oh, I just, uh, this year I did the numbers. I tripled my income this year. I don't know how that happened. I didn't do any different marketing. Well, it's because... If I be lifted up, I draw all unto me. Oh, it's time for me to take a break. I'm Jennifer Hadley, and you are listening to A Course in Miracles on Unity Online Radio, where we're walking the talk, we're living the love, and I will be right back. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Welcome back. I'm so glad (laughs) you came back. And (laughs) I don't have good news for you. I'm sorry. (laughs) We're, We're talking about something that actually is pretty sinister. So picking up where I left off, uh talking about chapter 31, section 5, which is entitled Self-Concept versus Self. So the concept of ourselves that we've generated versus our true self, our true reality. And what it's saying here is that we are projecting on to others that I am the thing you made of me. And as you look on me, you stand condemned because of what I am. So it's, as he says, a a lesson in terrible displacement and a fear so devastating that the face that smiles above it must forever look away lest it perceive the treachery it hides. So the treachery is that we have a negative self-concept, a concept of ourselves as bad, wrong, evil, unworthy, unlovable, etc. And we are saying that this is what the world made of us. This is what others have made of us. So we are projecting it onto others that they made us this horrible, misshapen, demented creature that we believe that we are. And this is the treachery. He says, and this is the end of paragraph five. On this conception of the self, the world smiles with approval, for it guarantees the pathways of the world are safely kept, and those who walk on them will not escape. So it smiles with approval in that we've got the majority of people walking around on this planet who have a false and upsetting concept of themselves and the world says that's right what you need is a nicer car what you need is a whitener in your toothpaste what you need is to change your body your status in the world you need to get a better job you need to make more money do you need to have a more attractive spouse a more successful spouse All these things, right? This is the world smiling, saying, yes, your self-concept is horrible. 
you are not worth loving. So move all these things around in the world to try to make yourself better. So going on to paragraph six, here is the central lesson that ensures your brother is condemned eternally. So uh, our brothers and sisters in the world are condemned eternally because it's their fault. It's their fault. They attacked us justifying our attack back. They made us into this Frankenstein monster. They didn't love us. They this, they that. We, we condemn our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers, eternally with this projection. Here is the central lesson that ensures your brother is condemned eternally. For what you are has now become his sin. For this is no forgiveness possible. No longer does it matter what he does, for your accusing finger points to him, unwavering and deadly in its aim. It points to you as well, but this is kept still deeper in the midst, sorry, in the mists below the face of innocence. And in these shrouded vaults are all his sins and yours, preserved and kept in darkness, where they cannot be perceived as errors, which the light would surely show. You can be neither blamed for what you are, nor can you change the things it makes you do. Your brother, then, is symbol of your sins to you, who are but silently and yet with ceaseless urgency condemning still your brother for the hated thing you are. You did this to me. And that justifies my attack. You did this to me. You made me angry. You made me so angry I wanted to hurt you. You made me so frightened I did something awful. You made me feel so badly about myself that I hurt myself, that I drank myself to death, that on and on and on, you made me do this. So you can see here how insidious the blame game is and that it is wrapped up in our self-concept. Wow. That is such a revelation of truth for us to understand that when we blame others for how we feel, we blame others for how we think and how we perceive and what we think we see, what we are doing is we are blaming them for our self-concept And for most people, the self-concept is, I'm not good enough. Something is wrong with me. This fundamental false belief that keeps replaying over and over again every moment of every day. And we blame it all on others. We are innocent. We did nothing. They did it all. And we don't even really get that this is what is playing out day after day after day. Now, very important, in paragraph 7, Jesus says, concepts are learned. So, concepts are not the truth. Concepts are ideas, thoughts, beliefs, but they're not the truth. If they were truth, they would be called truth, not concepts. He says they are not natural. 
apart from learning, they do not exist. So in the real world that Jesus tells us about in A Course in Miracles, there are no concepts. There's just truth. There's reality with a capital R. So he says here, not one of them is true. And many come from feverish imaginations, hot with hatred and distortions, born of fear. What is a concept but a thought to which its maker gives a meaning of its own? Concepts maintain the world, but they cannot be used to demonstrate the world is real. For all of them are made within the world, born in its shadow, growing in its ways, and finally maturing in its thought. They are ideas of idols painted with the brushes of the world, which cannot make a single picture representing truth. A concept of the self is meaningless, for no one here can see what it is for, and therefore cannot picture what it is. Yet is all learning that the world directs begun and ended with the single aim of teaching you this concept of yourself that you will choose to follow the world's laws and never seek to go beyond its roads nor realize the way you see yourself. Now must the Holy Spirit find a way to help you see this concept of the self must be undone if any peace of mind is to be given you. Nor can it be unlearned except by lessons aimed to teach you that you are something else. For otherwise you would be asked to make exchange of what you now believe for total loss of self and greater terror would arise in you. So we can't exchange the false concept for the true reality. Instead, we we are being guided by the Holy Spirit to help us recognize that this concept of ourselves is false and we're not that. We're perfect love. We're holiness. We are part of God. We are already as holy as holy can be, as I like to say. So that's what the Holy Spirit is teaching us, to no longer value this self-concept, the self-made concept And why would we no longer value it? Why would we start to loosen our grip on it? It's because it's painful. It's painful. If it weren't painful, we would just keep it going. But fortunately, it is painful. And that alerts us to the valuelessness of it. And this is precisely what we're being offered in the development of trust in the Manual for Teachers, chapter 4, where Jesus tells us that the first stage in the development of trust is a period of undoing. And it seems as if things are being taken away. So it can feel like maybe our dignity is being taken away. It can feel maybe like our sense of ourself, our sense of strength, our sense of our beauty, uh, our sense of who we think we are in relationship to the world. You see, many people experience that. They lose their job, and now they're not sure, sure who they are. They lose a family member. And it's very disorienting because their identity is wrapped up in their relationship to things and people in this world, to things like having money, stature, fame, fortune, respect, all of these things. And we lose these things 
and it can seem like they're being taken away. But if they have been our false idols, if the house was our false idol, if the job was our false idol, even our spouse is a false idol, when they're taken away, we realize, aha, I might be able to see things in a different light now. I might be able to see that I had an attachment to this, it was part of my identity, part of my self-concept. Uh, I am the person married to this other person. I am the parent of these people. I am the person who does this job. I am the person who lives in this house. All these different ways that we maintain our self-concept. So for me, that's one of the things that I've seen in my life is that being able to get my sense of self based on my connection with spirit, my heart, and not from what I do. It's a very different way. And everybody goes through these stages that are outlined in the development of trust, where we learn to relinquish the things that are propping up the false concept, the, the, the fabricated self-concept. We can let them dissolve and resolve permanently back to the root cause. And the wonderful thing is we realize who we really are. Begin to That begins to dawn on us. So we begin to realize, oh, I'm eternal. I'm not a time-based person. Oh my gosh, I am a loving person. Oh my gosh, there is great wisdom available to me. We start to move away from the fabricated self-concept to our true reality in God and see the perfect love of God that we are. And that's a wonderful, wonderful development. And it does come from placing our trust and faith in spirit and not in our perceptions and projections. So the undoing comes from the undoing of the self-concept that we're constantly trying to maintain and prop up and improve. The undoing of that whole attachment to a self-concept, seeing ourselves as a body fixed in time and space in relationship to others in the world. The undoing of that comes through the Holy Spirit our higher self, the mighty I am presence, showing us our true identity. And this is what Jesus talks about next. He says, Thus are the Holy Spirit's lessons, lesson plans arranged in easy steps, that though there may be some lack of ease at times and some distress, there is no shattering of what was learned but just a retranslation of what seems to be the evidence on its behalf. Let us consider then what proof there is that you are what your brother made of you. So think about that. How could I be what my brother, my sister, my mother, my father made of me? How could I be that? You see how it comes back to, I am responsible for what I see, or I am a victim of the world. It's one or the other. How could I be something made by others? He says, for even though you do not perceive that this is what you think, you surely learned by now that you behave as if it were. Does he react for you? And does he know exactly what would happen? 
Can he see your future and ordain before it comes what you should do in every circumstance? He must have made the world as well as you to have such prescience in the things to come. So he's playing with us here about how how could our brother, our sister, our mother, our father, another person, other people have made us? Could they have made all our decisions? Could they have seen everything in all directions of time and space? No. No. I have to see the humor in this, really. Uh, Jesus says, next paragraph, that you are what your brother made of you seems most unlikely. Even if he did, who gave the face of innocence to you? Is this your contribution? Who is, then, the you who made it? And who is deceived by all your goodness and attacks it so? Let us forget the concept's foolishness and merely think of this. There are two parts to what you think yourself to be. If one were generated by your brother, who is there to make the other? And from whom must something be kept hidden? If the world be evil, there is still no need to hide what you are made of. Who is there to see? And what but is attacked could need defense? Ah, the crux of it here. So Jesus is asking, who gave the face of innocence to you? Is this your contribution? So the answer is God gave the face of innocence. Is it our contribution? Well, we're part of God. Who is then the you who made it? God is the you who made it. And who is deceived by all your goodness and attacks it so? Aha. Our brothers and sisters, the others. Let us forget the concept's foolishness and merely think of this. There are two parts to what you think yourself to be. So we think ourselves to be the innocent one, who's so, so good, and we also think ourselves to be the horrible one that's so, so bad, both at the same time. Jekyll and Hyde. But we blame the 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 one who's so, so bad on the world, on others. Yet we hide from God. So this is where, to me, is I just go to, let me just put the Holy Spirit in charge of helping me to remember my true identity. This is why in my prayers, if if you listen to my prayers, my daily prayers, uh, which there's a podcast for that, um, Prayer for Today is the name of it. If you search for me, Jennifer Hadley, wherever you get your podcasts from, you'll find my other podcasts. And by the way, thank you to those who write reviews. Thank you, thank you. What a wonderful service you're doing to help other people find the podcast. If you value it, thank you for your support in the form of writing a review wherever you get your podcast from. And don't forget that if you're on a an Apple device, there are two podcasts, Course in Miracles and A Course in Miracles Archive, because iTunes splits the the um, shows into two podcasts. Jekyll and Hyde is uh, something that Spirit has given us to help us understand our self-concept as the, the one who would just tear everything apart and would absolutely live the life of a, a sinner according to those who believe in sin. And uh, then there's Dr. Jekyll, who's a good person and trying to do good 
<laughs> and so we see ourselves split in this way, the split mind. So putting the Holy Spirit in charge of helping us to remember our true identity. This is why I say it all the time, every day, probably in every class I offer, I talk about true identity, true identity. Yes, let us remember our true identity. A little bit later, uh, in, in, in towards the end of this section here, the world can teach no images of you unless you want to learn them. There will come a time when images have all gone by and you will see you know not what you are. It is to this unsealed and open mind that truth returns unhindered and unbound. Where concepts of the self have been laid by is truth revealed exactly as it is. So this this is what we are moving into right now. The realization of what we truly are. When I'd like to have a realization of truth, I say it to the Holy Spirit, to the higher self. I say, I'd like to know my true identity. I'd like to know what's real. And I'd like to know as soon as possible. Please make it so. And then I go about my business. Ah, rightio. Well, we are fast approaching the end of this year and finishing up our Masterful Living program, getting ready to start the new one. I'm inviting you to come and join us in Masterful Living. It is a powerful and beautiful community of like-minded souls experiencing miracles. We didn't think we could do it, but we are. That's my time. I'm grateful and thankful for the love of God that shines in our heart and in our mind and is our true identity. In gratitude, we share the benefits with all. We let it be, and so it is. Amen. Amen, amen. I love you.